And you can also get it on our new dynamic greeting table that everybody saw and admired on their way in. There is a, a sheet there. Feel free to grab that. Anybody seen any angels lately? Anyone seen any? We're going to talk a little bit about angels today. We're going to mostly launch off or launch into a discussion about angels because Hebrews chapter 1 is uh, comparing Jesus to the angels. And so we are going to dive into this. Today is just going to be what I would like to call an introduction to this concept of angels. And so our verse for today is sort of picking up from last week. We ended last week in verse 3. So I'm going to read that and then you can go to the screen for verse 4. It says, and it, he is, talking about Jesus, the radiance of his glory, meaning God, and the exact representation of his nature, and he upholds all things by the word of his power. When he made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And now we're going to go into our verse for today, because it's part of that sentence. Having become as much better than the angels as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. Now this gets confusing because, again, we're talking about God here, aren't we? Isn't that what he just went and told us? That God now, instead of talking to us through various ways in the past, the prophets, uh, visions, dreams, um, the angels of the Lord, the theophanies, all these different uh, uh, appearances, in these last days, he no longer does that. He now talks to us in his son, who is the exact imprint, the exact character of God himself. As we spoke about last week, if you had a, a, a metal or soft metal or hot metal and you were to take a stamp and push it into that, that stamp's engraving would be sunk into that metal. It would get hard. And it would become part of the character of that. And so what God did in Jesus is he imprinted himself in the human nature of Jesus. So he is better than anything else, any other representation that we could possibly have. Anything more than Jesus is impossible. But again, we're talking to a church here in Hebrews that's a little confused, like most of us are. Not every single one of us here can talk about the hypostatic union, how Jesus is fully God and fully man. But we believe it and we see it in Scripture. We know it. And imagine a church that didn't have the Scriptures of the New Testament like we have today. They didn't have the Internet and gotquestions.com, where we could pull things up and just boom, and we have it. I love it. I carry around my iPad everywhere with my Bible reference. And if I'm talking to somebody, especially during a meeting, or I could pop it right up, and boom, I get it. I can have a little bit of a scripture in my mind, boom, it pops right up. But they didn't have this there. They only had the reading of the word. Many few of them had the whole entire Old Testament scriptures that talked about this stuff. So the only thing that was on their mind right now is how is God man 
And does this mean that Jesus, the man slash God, is better than everything else that we've ever been taught? How did he inherit a more excellent name? And what does that mean? Does it mean his name is just cooler than every other name? Does it mean that his name in the, in the Greek or the Hebrew or the Latin or Aramaic means something really important? Well, I often think about, I don't know about you, but if you're driving down the road, and I know none of you speed, but if you're driving down the road and you're going a little fast, you know, you're, maybe you're going 55 and a 50, and all of a sudden you see that squad car coming back. Well, he's behind you, right? And then he starts to pull up. And he comes alongside of you, and you look at him, and you, you go, oh, man, Whew. thank you, God. Because it's a sheriff car, right? Sheriff cars don't pull you over for speeding. It's like, man, that's he's doing his job. He's the sheriff. I'm glad he's not pulling me over. But if it was the you know, freehold police or Howell police or a state trooper, you would be afraid of being pulled over. Now, both the sheriff and the local police department have, in our minds, what we would like to say, a name or an authority. The difference between the sheriff and the difference between the local police department is what? For those of you that know, it's jurisdiction. You see, we may get more afraid when the local police comes and pulls us, uh, comes alongside of us when we're speeding. But ultimately, that sheriff has more jurisdiction and even authority in some cases, especially when you're looking at uh, our local, the way that our New Jersey is set up with different counties and things like that, because their authority is over a whole entire region. It's over a whole entire county. So if a sheriff's department officer walks in, he is technically has a greater name or a higher name. He has inherited a higher authority, so to speak, even though they do have different jobs, than that local police department. And so when you look at the name of Jesus being inherited, him inheriting this name that's higher than all, it's not necessarily talking about his name, Yeshua, Jesus. It's talking about his jurisdiction and authority has been, he has been promoted to the highest possible point that anyone could ever be promoted to as Jesus the God-man, and that is, he is fully God. It would more, a better analogy would be like the president of the United States versus a local police officer, right? He has all authority. He can do executive orders. He is the top chief, the commanding officer of everything and everyone, of all the military. And that's what Jesus has, he has inherited that name of excellency, of authority and jurisdiction. But to the Hebrews, to this book, to these people, they were confused by this. Uh, I would assume, and and I would assume that because of the great uh, depths that our writer goes into. You see, this whole first chapter from verses 4 all the way down to 14 is all about Jesus being, having more authority and having a greater name than that of the angels. He just goes back and forth and compares. Did God ever say this to the angels? Well, he called this, he called Jesus' son. 
which means God. And we've, we've talked about that. The Son of God means that Jesus is God. He is the second person of the Trinity, equal, completely with God in essence. And, and, and everything, power, authority, everything. He's completely equal, yet different, a different person. We talked more of that in the introduction to Hebrews. You can go back to that and last week as well. But here they talk about angels. And why do they do that? Well, that's why I said, have, have you and I have seen a, you know, an angel recently? We don't really talk a lot about that in our culture, right? I saw an angel, uh, you know, sometimes we'll get people to say, hey, I had a dream. And what does this dream mean? Right? That's a big thing in our cultures. I don't know about you, but I hate hearing about people's dreams. I don't know. I just see it as a waste of time. I don't, it's terrible to say that. I like your dreams when you tell me, Gracie, my little daughter. But everybody else's dreams sort of like, I'm like, all right, it was a dream. And are you telling me this dream because you want me to psychoanalyze this dream? It was a dream. What did you eat yesterday? You ate something different, right? Eat that again tonight. You'll have another cool dream. But, you know, in our culture, it's dreams, right? Visions, maybe people of certain Christian uh, denominations put a high priority on special revelation through dreams and visions. It's also, we look at um, different variations of God in our, in our culture. We have the uh, deistic God, who's sort of the God that, yeah, there's a God, but he's sort of far off. He's not involved. We have all these different things. Well, the people of, that were listening to this book, they believed in the God of the Old Testament. But what was very, very important to them was how God spoke to them in the past through angelic messengers. And the word angel means messenger. So the average Hebrew at this time believed greatly in the presence of angels. And they believed that when you saw an angel... Okay, you remember Samson's parents, right? When they, were, when they appeared to him, they were like, we just saw the face of God. We just spoke with God and lived. This is amazing, right? They looked at it like this is God's way. This is God's diplomatic representative who's coming here to show himself to us and to communicate through this because no one can be in the presence of God. No one can see God. So God brings angels, messengers, and different other things. You know, he spoke through the burning bush and that sort of stuff. Those are called theophanies. Okay, so theophany means theo, God, and phony means show. So it's like God showing himself to humans through this method. And that was the burning bush. But nothing quite compared to angels. They were a great mystery to people. During this time in the Jewish sects, there were uh, people that believed in miracles, and there were people, I'm sorry, angels, and there were others that didn't believe in angels or the supernatural. We know that from the Sadducees, right? When Paul was in the speaking to, the, um, to King Agrippa, I believe, and, and the Sadducees and the, and the Pharisees were there, or I think it may have been Felix, and he started an argument about the resurrection, using some wisdom there. I stand here for the hope of Israel, the resurrection of the dead. It started a big argument, remember that? Because the Sadducees didn't believe in the afterlife and resurrection, nor angels. And that was another big confusion. People thought that angels were resurrected human beings. 
Do you remember when Peter knocked on the door and the, the girl looked out in the book in Acts 11, I believe, and he says, uh, somebody's out there, it's Peter, it must be his angel, because he's locked up in jail. Maybe he was killed. And it was really him. So they had a very, uh, they, they, they thought about angels a lot, and they looked at them as a very high representative of God. <clears throat> angels are, to us, very intriguing, but when you look through Scripture, you see that there are different variations of angels on how God had spoken to us through the angels. We see from the very beginning in the garden, we see the highest, I guess, level of angel, and that is the cherubim, who, are, who have six wings, and with two they cover their eyes, and two they cover their feet, and the other ones they fly with. And they are in the presence of God, in the holies of, holy of holies. God ordered that the cherubim be put on top of the ark, where they sprinkle the blood plate, to symbolize what's going on in heaven. So these cherubim are God's personal right-hand men, I guess you could say. They're not little chubby babies flying around, at least unless they're like little Yoda babies flying around that can handle a sword, because they were stationed at the Garden of Eden after the fall. God didn't bring the angel of the Lord there like, like that David saw, you know, the, the captain of the army of the Lord. He stationed cherubim there with a sword, a flaming sword that turned all different ways. So we see these cherubim, we see um, <clears throat> many other different angels, but again, the, the one thing that you have to get from this is their chief job is to bear a word of God, give information from God to people. You cannot pray to angels. Well, you can but they're not hearing you. You cannot talk to angels like the Black Crows tried to convince us back in the 80s and 90s. She doesn't talk to angels. She may verbally talk, but she, the angels are not hearing. The only thing that angels can hear and say communicating to us is what God allows and permits them to do on that specific mission. We see in Genesis, the angel, the messenger, appeared to Hagar, Sarah's maidservant, said, hey, you're going to bear a son, and he's going to have a, a numerous descendants as well. We see Sarah herself encountered angels later with the three visitors, or the one was God, uh, was a manifestation of God, with the two angels that went down into Sodom and Gomorrah to rescue Lot. They took on human form, and they were able to do only what God said. They weren't ever worshipped. As a matter of fact, when you see them being worshipped in Scripture, like in the book of Revelation, they automatically stop that worship. They're not sitting there going, well, I, I do deserve this a little. Without me, you wouldn't even be talking to God right now. No, they, they're like, don't get up. I'm just like you. Don't bow down before me. And so he uses these angels to do his will. Now, they are also used to protect. Now, what we read this morning in our Old Testament reading, I think, is very significant. To I would never mention this if we just didn't get out of Nehemiah. But in the book of Daniel, the first time that angels are ever mentioned by name is in the passage that Chris read in 10, chapter 10. Uh, and we read there that 
Michael is mentioned by name. We also hear an earlier in the book, um, as well as later in the book, Gabriel is mentioned by name. We see Gabriel being the one that came to speak to Mary about her pregnancy by the Holy Spirit. Gabriel and Michael are known as archangels. They are the ones that are highest in terms of leadership. You could call them battalion commanders. And what I loved about that, about that, not only that it shows us vividly what angels are being used for by God, but it also shows us vividly that these angels are fighting a battle in the spiritual realm that we can't necessarily see. So much so that they battle the actual rulers in the wicked realm that are in charge of regions as well, which are called um, which he called in that Persia. Do you see that? I, I was battling the prince of Persia. And he took time out to battle that prince of Persia and to come down and to talk to Daniel. And Michael, the prince, came to help him in that battle. What I think is so significant is that they were battling the prince of Persia. What was going on right there? In Daniel's time, who was the ruler of the world? Was it the prince of per- was it Persia? No, it was Nebuchadnezzar. It was Babylon. But shortly after that, Persia attacked Babylon and became rulers of the world. Well, first they attacked Assyria, and then they attacked Babylon, and the Babylon, and then the Persian leader. Cyrus is the one that allowed them to go and rebuild the temple and bring in the people for Nehemiah to rebuild the wall. So I think this is significant on how this battle that's going on in the spiritual realm by angels is super pertinent to what's going on here. Now, why I also mention that is what we're going to see beginning next week is all of these Old Testament references in Hebrews chapter 1, if you look this up, one thing I always recommend is if you see an Old Testament reference in the New Testament, go back to that Old Testament reference and read the whole chapter. Because that's especially how Paul likes to communicate when you see him referring back in Romans especially And we believe that Paul had his hands in this book. And if not, it's the Holy Spirit. Because every one of these Old Testament references is a reference to either a psalm or a passage that has to do with the kingdom of God and his son taking reign over that kingdom. And so Jesus coming through being much better than the angels, one of the reasons why is not just because he purified us from with his blood as high priest, right? He's the high priest according to the order of who? Melchizedek, which we're going to learn about. But he was not only high priest, he was also what? King of Salem, king of righteousness. So he was the king and he was a high priest. The same model after Jesus. And so Jesus here we see this tie-in from, these, from the angels, from the mentality of what these people are thinking, to hear that Jesus is ab- above and beyond even the angels is something that pays a lot of dividends for the people that are listening to this. I believe that's why he started it 
starts out the whole entire book, not on Melchizedek, Jesus being bigger than Moses, Jesus is better than the priesthood. No, the first and foremost thing that we need to get out of this is that Jesus is better than the angels, the whole race of angels, the cherubim sitting next to God in the Holy of Holies. He's sitting down in the Holy of Holies. The cherubim are serving him. We see him more valuable and more effective and higher than the archangels. And of course, all the angels of God. We also see Jesus coming back in 1 Thessalonians 1. Uh, I'm sorry, 2 Thessalonians 1, 6-8. That when he returns, he is going to be revealed from heaven. That doesn't mean he's going to be flying from outer space. The the reveal is a pull back of a veil, like the stage curtain being pulled open, which goes very well with the the spiritual realm because the spiritual realm isn't up in outer space. It's here. We don't see it, but there's a cloud. There's a covering over us. There's a veil. When When Jesus is revealed from heaven... He is going to be coming with another race or order of angels. These are called his mighty angels. And they will be in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those that do not know God and that do not obey the gospel. So when Christ comes to to return the second and final time to establish the new creation and to consummate the kingdom, to make that kingdom completely finalized here and birthed into that new creation, he is going to come with angels that are ready for war. The one warning, too, that we have to be careful of, and the one, what I believe, one of the, another warning that this writer is trying to give them is that there are also fallen angels. And, you know, there is a very big um, movement for Jesus being an angel. Him being the brother of Michael, the archangel. Him being the brother of Lucifer, of Satan, who was the chief falling angel or the chief fallen, I'm sorry, uh, cherubim, which we're going to get to now. I'm going to talk about that in a quick second. But I, I thought it was interesting that Paul in Galatians says that even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you another gospel contrary to what we've preached to you, he is to be accursed. So these angels were not to be trusted the way that the Jewish people were trusting them because now with Jesus Christ taking his authority and the battle raging in the spiritual realm, there is going to be a battle not only with for, for people's souls and not only for people's, uh, the work that they're doing and all this other stuff. But there's also going to be a major spiritual battle of false gospel going out into the world. One of those major false gospels was that Jesus was an angel. He was a spirit being. And he didn't really die on the cross. He went up there, but he, he, he went up there as a human. But then right before he died, he, he, he went into angelic form and came down off the cross, and never fully died. Only his humanity died. 
So again, we can go into all those questions. Well, is he God? Did he die? Where was the son of God? We're not going to go into that here and now, but I'm just giving you the, 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 the picture of what these angels would do and why it's so important that we put no other faith or no other belief other than in the son for that communication from God. We know in Ephesians 6 that there are spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. When we think about angels, we are all raised in, you know, over the past 50 years, let's say, TV, movies, books, they've all portrayed angels. I haven't seen anything that really portrays it, what I believe is in the spiritual realm, because I think just as many human beings that are on this earth at this point, or maybe even more, there are just as many angels and spiritual beings, if not more. And levels, and they do not know everything. A lot of people think, oh, well, they know this, they know that. No, these, they are also looking into the mysteries of the gospel and the mystery of God. And so there is a very complicated war that's going on. If you want to tackle it and try to go into all that stuff, go ahead. But the real easy shortcut is become one with the only one that can speak the words of God, and that is Christ. He has to be all in all. That's what he's being taught. That's what he's trying to tell them. Get rid of all these other things. The angels, yes, they're real, but they have their place. They are ministers to you and me to communicate that of God. But know this, that once Christ came, there is no other messenger that's needed. The only messenger that's needed is the one that's preaching Christ. Right? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You are getting the word of God. You want to know Jesus? That's how we started earlier. You want faith in God? You want to get your faith in God to where you know for a fact that you have salvation from God? Then you need to embrace the word of God that's talking about the death of God. Jesus Christ. He died for you. That is a part of the gospel. The other part is that he rose again from the dead. And then he ascended at the right hand of the majesty on high and took a seat at his throne and he rules forever and his dominion continues forever. That word, that gospel is what saves you. That word and that gospel is what keeps you. So I was going to say we have Satan. He is prepared for a tragedy. We see in Matthew 25, 41, that there is eternal fire which has been prepared for Satan, the devil, and his angels. And again, this isn't just because they're the bad guys and God's the good guy. Jesus is making all things new. And that, when, whenever you see in Scripture... The fiery heat, right? Peter talks about. The elements are going to melt with heat. Paul talks about it. Anything that's on the altar that's stay or that's hay, wood, or stubble is going to burn. But those solid things that are done for the Lord are going to stay. This is all about the purging of evil, the purging of suffering, the purging of pain, the purging of sin, the purging of death. That is all going to be purged outside 
of the realm of Christ and his kingdom. So when Christ returns and that's all gone away with, who doesn't know Christ is putting himself in that category to be purged because they have sin that's not paid for. And it's eternal. Your sin is eternal. You can never pay for it ever. Otherwise, God's mercy would say, don't let them get forever banished. But God's justice requires the payment that's due. But justice and peace, mercy and peace, can meet and kiss together at Christ, at the cross. Because you have the mercy of God, he can give that mercy to those that are trusting in Christ. And he can be peaceful with them. It's righteousness, the great righteousness and faithfulness of God to be who he is and the truth of who God is could never meet anywhere else as it relates to salvation other than the cross. Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. It says in the king, the king of Babylon in Isaiah 14, verses 12 to 15, he's talking about the king of Babylon here. He says, how you fall in heaven, uh, how you fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn. You've been cut down to earth. You have weakened the nations, but you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the cloud. I will make myself like the, the, the most high. Nevertheless, you will be thrust down to hell in the recesses of the pit. So what we have here is the beginning of a double prophecy. He's talking in Isaiah about the king of Babylon. Remember Nebuchadnezzar, how he raised himself up and God made him a beast for seven years for doing that till he acknowledged who God really was. That was the first fulfillment of it. But then we read that in Revelation, and we also read about Jesus saying he saw the devil being cast down from heaven. He's alluding to this, being cast down, thrust down to Sheol. Revelation 20, the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone, and they will be tormented day and night, forever and ever because of this. So we can connect these dots in Ezekiel 28 as well, talking about the cherub in Eden who desired to be God. We can connect these dots and assume that Satan was some sort of very, very, uh, had a very, um, I would say, high, uh, um, what you call it, like a, uh, in the army when you're top, a high rank. I can't think of simple stuff today. He had a very high rank, could be cherub, could be, you know, he was, it could be that. And then he, at that very, very high rank, just like Adam at his very, very high rank, turned away from God. And that is what Satan's motif is. He wants to disguise himself as something that is good, and he wants, like an angel or a messenger, and he wants to deceive an angel of light. And this is the warning. And this, I believe, is the urgency. This is why in, in chapter 2, he says the first verse, for this reason, we must, we must pay closer attention to what we've heard so that we do not drift away from it, meaning the word spoken. So this is what we must do. We must come to now. Again, we talk about this higher name, right? And we got the point that it's a, higher, it's a higher rank. It's his name, like we talked about, the government official has a much higher rank. 
the, the, the sheriff, although we fear the city cop sometimes a little bit more because we know he gives tickets, but that sheriff has a bigger jurisdiction. He has a bigger uh, a, a range of authority there, I guess you could say. Jesus has that by this scripture, what it says that he has a much he has become much better and inherited a more excellent name. But there also is the actual name of Jesus. <clears throat> Isaiah 63, 5, I looked and there was no one to help. And I was astonished and there was no one to uphold. So my own arm brought salvation to me and my wrath upheld me. My own arm means in the Hebrew, my own strength, my own forces. It's a political term and a military term. This is God saying that my own arm, I am going to do the, I am going to do the saving. And it says this too, <clears throat> the name he inherited above all names, Philippians 2, 9-11, for this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus' name means Jehovah is salvation. Jesus is the only one that can speak for us, that can speak God to us because he is God. And in that same vein, he's the only one that can save you and me. He's the only one that can forgive you of your sins. He can, there's no other way to purge your sins. None. It, your, your good works can't do it. A good track record can't do it. Going to church can't do it. Nothing can do it other than a person, and that is Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this, for this word of extreme exhortation and warning of Jesus alone, Lord. It seems so simple, God, but so many things get in the way. I thank you, Father, for your grace that you not only uh, make us alive, but you walk with us. And Lord, we thank you so much for that. As we go through this study, Lord, I pray that you just uh, show us the, the depths of your word and continue to put Christ up higher and higher and higher that he will get all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. And we are going to have one final song. And then after that, I'm gonna, uh, we have a special presentation that I want everybody to stay here for. Uh, and that'll just take a few minutes. And then uh, we will get to our 